Welcome back to the Quiet On Set podcast powered by Cinnamon. I'm Ewan Graf, and as always, I'm joined by Lachlan Teeley. Babylon, Babylon, Babylon. So I caught the HBO slash theater release House Party and started an anime called Babylon, Welcome Babylon, to the NHK. Babylon. Babylon is out for me finally, and I cannot <laughs> wait to discuss Babylon. This is a long movie. Right. There's a lot to talk about. So you and I shall finally uncover it. Ewan, did you have something else you wanted to say? No, no, no. I, I, I was... Well, let's roll that intro. We are professional. <laughs> Professional. This, is, this is a professional podcast. Yes. Breaking bad and better boss on. Hello there. <laughs> Which actually, did you this get is me a hat be a as bit... well? Um, yes. So I've got Dune Cam. <laughs> it's just a camera <laughs> with my Dune steelbook. Welcome back, Lachlan. Today we Hello. want to waste uh, not a lot of time to get no, to Damien Giselle's uh, long anticipated Babylon. Uh, with, with half of Hollywood starring in it in iconic roles. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I guess before we do, we are obliged to, or we are obligated, not obliged to, we are obligated to uh, talk to Quick News, which we'll keep yes. as brief as we can today, with heaps of energy that's uh, pulled down a bit by the news that um, I guess it's going to be a sequel to Re Without Remorse, which is a movie that Lachlan, both of us, don't really like that much. Love uh, it. Although you're... Oh, <laughs> well, really? I, I told you to go see it, and then you hated it, so... Oh, right. That... No, sorry. Sorry, I was thinking of a yeah. different movie. Uh, Sorry, I got two movies mixed up. Without Remorse, the one with Michael B. Jordan, the one that tries to be yeah. a spy espionage thriller, but ends up just being yep. like a hot pile of shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's coming back to me now. Uh, yeah, oh, that one's no, getting a sequel. Terrible. Oh, excellent! <laughs> it is getting a sequel. Uh, yeah. Finally, cool. a number two. As it was mm -hmm. already a number well, two. Well, number but, six, yeah. I'd say. It's called Rainbow, Rainbow Six. six. Oh, mm -hmm. no, my Only... boy. They've massacred my boy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, Michael B. Jordan is back. The, uh, the good news is not the bad news. The good news is that the John Wick director is attached to direct the Rainbow Six films. So maybe uh, there's hope that this one will actually not be, what did you say, a, a hot uh, steaming pile of shit? Yeah, that's exactly what I said. Uh, exactly. there's hope, I guess. There's a little bit of hope. Anyways, speaking of a hot pile of shit, uh, let's talk about the Oscars. <laughs> no, um, the Oscar nominations, uh, will be out by the time this episode releases. So, uh, if you want to, as we do yearly here on the podcast, uh, you can participate in the quite on set predictions, uh, you know, for the Oscars and you can win a year of Letterbox Pro, uh, if you end up being... Well, the best predictor of them all uh, will be live streaming the show when it comes out. We'll see if uh, the both of us will make it there, how we'll do that. But um, we'll definitely be there uh, to, uh, yeah, cover the Oscars in some shape or form. And we'll have our predictions out um, soon as well. <laughs> I kind of know in the last few years, we've we done terribly in these, like, Terrible. Out of all of the participants, we were usually in like the bottom four, <laughs> like to both of us. So it's because uh, yeah. the Oscars are so hard to predict with uh, yeah. people just, uh, just left hooks coming out of nowhere. Like, remember, remember when Green Book won? Crazy. Yeah. Right? That crazy. was pretty crazy. Crazy year. I mean, this year, I feel like it's not going to go like too crazy with the win because I feel no. like all of the front runners are pretty good. But yeah. I, I am I'm ready to get slapped in the face and surprised, oh, yeah. you know, that way. So, um, yeah, looking forward to that. Uh, it's a long ways off until the actual cere ceremonies, though. Uh, those will happen 
on March 12th. Something that, that won't take until March 12th is uh, Avatar's continued success at the box office. Uh, it just recently surpassed No Way Home to become the sixth highest grossing movie of all time. It's looking like it's closing in, narrowing that That's gap crazy. between uh, Titanic as well, which is getting a re-release in a couple of weeks. So it will probably have uh, a bit of a harder time uh, surpassing surpassing Titanic. But at the end of the day, it will definitely land between the fourth or the third uh, place in the all-time grossing chart, which is which is crazy. We, we really didn't expect it to go this well for Avatar, uh, but hands off to um, James Cameron. He will have uh, three of the four highest grossing movies uh, of all time. Um, so, yeah. He's going for a track record. He's trying to do Connect Four with these movies in terms of the top ten. He's just trying to get one, two, yeah. three, four. But yeah, whatever. Uh -huh. Yeah, no, he's getting it. He's getting there. And then finally, uh, as we speak, the Sundance Film Festival is happening. We won't be covering um, the films playing at the festival this year. But if you do want to watch some movies, I suggest uh, getting the awards uh, pass. That's about uh, 200 bucks. Um, so you get a selection of uh, some of the best films that played at the festival for, for yeah, for 200 um, but the, I got to say, like, Sundance is pretty expensive. And I don't know how many movies you'll end up getting for that. Uh, it's, it's a lofty price. But uh, if you're interested in some of those films that uh, might not get a distribution for a year or two or never in, in some cases, um, go check those out. So that's it with quick news this week. So, Lachlan, let's get to the very sparse what we've been watching. All right, Lachlan, uh, what have you been watching? Not much. I've just steamrolling my way through uh, Supernatural and Yellowstone, as I said, catching mm. up with the television that I missed out on. I watched The Last of Us, which I'm not going to say yes. anything because we're going to be uh -huh. covering that very shortly after this recording that will then go live mm -hmm. separately because we are doing a Last of Us review of it's episode definitely one already out i'll link definitely we'll link it here out. if you want to yeah, uh, go check it so out i won't i won't say much but i will say i think they broke the the bad adaptation rule that every single filmmaker seems to follow when they make a video game adaptation so yeah. and and we won't explain maybe why it's positive um i still have a lot of critiques to the show that uh some people mm -hmm. might take as hot takes but uh, if you want to hear about that, you can go ahead and listen to it in that review. Well, speaking of The Last of Us, I'll just briefly say that in what we've been watching, I've been playing the game on uh, PS5. Lachlan has always made fun of me because I don't have a PS5. Well, too bad for you. I I stole someone else's PS5. Oh, dude, he's got a... Oh, we're showing off today, huh? Yeah. It's so pretty looking. This game looks stunning. It, it looks, looks good, amazing. Right? Yeah, this re it's a remake, right? It's not just a remaster. Uh, it looks incredible. Um, I've, uh, I did a live stream uh, playing the game for the first time. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, we had the goal of actually finishing the game in one go. Ended up not being able to game. push through that. It's, it's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's about 14, 15 hours. But uh, I, I own a bunch of games. I never played them. That's been kind of the joke. And I think this year... 
I'll end up playing a whole bunch of games. That's at least a goal, and I'll do them. Uh, I'll play them live as well, so you can tune in on on my channel if you want to. But we'll finish the game. Uh, well, I've already finished it by the time you are seeing this, uh, because uh, for episode two, I'll be um, I'll be finishing the game, and I've been. That's yeah. I've been I've been loving it. It's it's an amazing game for anyone who hasn't played it. Uh, it's worth it. It's really worth it. It's it's one of the best uh, games I've ever played. And um, <clears throat> I haven't not I have not only been playing games. I also started to watch a bit of stuff uh, on the side. I started a new anime. Like an, I've watched some anime, which I wow. really never do. But uh, this has been recommended to me a whole bunch of times. Uh, it's called Welcome to the NHK. I'm only about four or five episodes in, and it's about a guy who has, uh, like, I don't know what his con condition is, but he has, like, a social issue where he struggles to go outside and, like, to interact socially with people. So it's, like, a really weird character, and then his neighbor and him start uh, to build a, like, erotica game. And it's such a weird story so far, and I don't know if I'm digging it at all, but it's at, at least interesting uh, with, like, the lead characters being really despicable uh but but i'm 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 uh, i'm all in i'll try and finish the show before next week's recording and then i also uh watched house party um a film that i think we've covered a couple of months ago on the trailer watch here the crashing lebron's place uh and because their cleaners get fired then they decide to throw a party there and the film is just uh, a showcase of a bunch of um celebrities that show up to to that place and Kit Cuddy is like a prominent part of the film. Then for some reason, it is really random and I feel like the jokes don't really hit that well uh, most of the time. They're just really over the top. So only a light recommendation on House Party if that looks interesting to you from the trailer. Uh, you'll probably uh, get exactly what, you, what you'd expect. That's uh, all I've been watching and Lachlan has been watching, but we've been watching something that not a lot of other people have been watching seemingly, and that is uh, Damien Giselle's new movie, Babylon. A tale of outsized ambition and outrageous excess, tracing the rise and fall of multiple characters during an era of unbridled decadence and depravity in early Hollywood. So that's the crazy Babylon coming Ooh. in at a runtime of 189 minutes. Uh, it's like I said from the La La Land, Whiplash, and First Man director, Damien Giselle. It's his uh, estimated 85 to maybe even 110 million dollar budgeted film that depicts uh, the late stages of the silent film era transitioning over into the sound era and the struggles that come with uh, that for a bunch of people working in the industry. Now, uh, the film has been received kind of, uh, I don't know, I feel like it's that type of film that does Mixed. well on Letterboxd. It got a mm. 3.8 over there. On IMDb, they're not really sure that it's a 7.4. And on Metacritic, it's actually the lowest with a 61, which is a bit surprising to me. It's not surprising when you look at the turnout, though. Uh, this movie only raised uh, so far, only grossed so far 14 million. But it's only been out in the States. It's just now releasing internationally. But to break even, I saw someone, I think Dan Merrill did it in his show. And uh, <laughs> I think it needs to make as much internationally as Black, Black Panther Wakanda Forever made to, to break even. 
And I yeah. don't think that's going to happen. So what did you make of Babylon? I fucking loved it. I was so shocked by how much I enjoyed this film. Uh, I I didn't know what to expect. I knew I had the same mm -hmm. runtime as Avatar 2, which is crazy to think that once again, yeah. I'm going into cinemas for the next three hours and I'm praying that it's not going to be a bad time. And I'm glad the past two times that I've sat in a cinema for this long has been great. And and, and I got to admit, 2022, because this is a, unfortunately we're talking about it in 2023 because that's where it released finally in Australia, but this is a 2022 film. 2022 was the year of very long films. Like you had a lot yeah. of long run times. Mm -hmm. I mean, you had uh, the uh, Batman at the start of the year that was like three hours yeah. long. Then you obviously have Avatar. Then you have Babylon. Like, are long movies coming back? Is that like a thing? Or are like directors getting a bit more creative freedom with what they can keep in the film and not get cut out on the cutting room floor? What do you reckon? I think it's, I think it's not generally movies are getting longer because these longer films tend to come from the filmmakers who have a pretty unfucked with artistic vision. They can do yeah. what they want. I feel like Matt Reeves got to do what he wants. Steven Spielberg with his two and a half hour long movie got to do what he wants. Um, and the same here with Damien Giselle, which, I mean, if you go back to the story of, of like how long he's been trying to do this film, I think it's been like 14 years. He pitched it in 2009. Um, ended up doing a bunch of movies in between that got him the critical acclaim and the backing, the budget to do a type of movie like this. And now it's flopping. And to me, it's like, well, I feel like this movie was never meant to make like a lot of money. I feel like that's not at all what Damien Giselle's goal was at all. And I feel like with art, especially like the, the short term turnaround is, mm. I guess, like prioritized a lot of the time. It's like, oh, this is a flop. This is not a flop, but not actually on the quality of the film. And I feel like he, he gets to do what he wants here and he makes something that ultimately, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll get to where I feel like there's a bunch of shortcomings in the movie that that made me less like it made it less enjoyable for me than any of his other films. Um, but it's worth existing, and I'm and I'm glad that he got to spend this ex like this exhilarating amount of money on this production, uh, even though it's I guess not really resonating with a general audience as much. I think uh, another interesting point making with. Damien Chazelle making a movie about old Hollywood or making a movie about making movies. This has been a thing that I guess a lot of filmmakers have been doing recently. Most notably, you know, you have Spielberg, as you said before, with The yeah. Fablemans, you know, a movie about making movies, or at least based on himself. Again, the most Spielberg -y Spielberg movie you could ever think of. Then you've also got more recently uh -huh. as well, you have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you have uh, Quentin mm -hmm. Tarantino going back to that sort of, uh, you know, early, you know, as, as films started learning what sound was, they kind of found the foundation of making movies back then, you know, early, early fancy Hollywood. Um, yeah. And when it started to get a bit more, I get I guess, nitty-gritty compared to this, you know, f flamboyant, uh, roaring 20s, uh, roaring 30s era that uh, Damien Chazelle puts on screen. And then you had mm -hmm. a couple years ago, Mank from Fincher as well. Yeah. And mm -hmm. there's this seems to be this sort of, uh, I guess, Hollywood's like reminiscing on the, uh, the classic Hollywood times. And you get to obviously see a film, make a film inside of a film. It's really exciting when it does this meta-ness, you know, I, there's a lot of 
films that have come out recently, as I said, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Fableman's, Mank. But even if we go back a little bit more, you know, Tropic Thunder as, as a great comedy of making movies. Like this, this style of mm-hmm. movies is always really fun because it's both a, you know, sometimes poking fun. Tropic Thunder is obviously a great example of what the, the movie Welcome does. Babylon balances that because it's a balance of yeah. the absurdity, the craziness. And I'm sure some of this stuff happened, but I'm not going to say that all of it probably happened. And then you've got the balancing act of, okay, we've actually got to make a fucking movie here, guys. Let's calm down and let's actually do something. So yeah. for me, uh, I knew that's what this movie was going to be, this this crazy world that the early sound films were uh, and how and how they sort of changed the landscape. And my God, it was just a intense thrill ride every single scene. And there's not a lot yeah. of scenes in this film. They're just maybe like six or seven really big moments that mm. take up a large amount of your time. Like the opening is like a party in the night and it's a good 45 minutes long at least. And that's the opening. Yeah, the opening I think is like, and yeah, it's 30 minutes screen. long until we get My the God, credits. it's insane, right? Yeah. And there's this intensity yeah. throughout the entire thing. And then you follow on, there's some more scenes about making this movie and uh, it's not really spoiling, you know, where this film goes, but there's just moments of making a movie and then another movie comparison. And it's just these two moments existing side by side and then it cuts mm. or it sometimes just fades to black and then it cuts to another moment in a few years time. And then it fades to black yeah. after that entire scene. And then there's another two scenes. And it's just it's just basically a bunch of small scenes. Well, relatively large scenes, but they're not there's not a lot of stuff happening in this film. It's all very yeah. contained. And that's kind of a bit different compared to Once Upon a Time or Mank, which were the two films I was comparing it to. Before I went, yeah. In. Once upon a time in Hollywood, ap- apart from sharing Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie in that film as well, is that uh, it's very much just, I guess, in a way, glamorizing and and like living in the space that uh, is like the '60s in Hollywood. And I feel like this movie is overwhelming you with like the experience of it all. I feel like it's it's that type of of movie where I kept shifting back and forth in my seat just to adjust myself to the chaos that was uh, unfolding on screen. It was at times it was like too much. And I was like, uh, yeah, wondering if everyone made it out safe. So uh, it's a very stressful movie that um, especially in the the staging, that's like where you place uh, the characters uh, is like any Giselle movie, really complex. And, uh, you know, even it's even if it's not a musical, it's very choreographed as well like we haven't said this yet but i i I think i want to i want to give a general spoiler warning uh for the rest of our discussion because i do want to talk about those specific uh longer scenes and moments that basically like you said like seven or eight or something like that that make up the whole movie um and go give it a try i feel like you know if if it's not for you then i guess just walk out after an hour and you see like a, a really intense party scene and maybe the beginning stages of someone's career, any good. But um, I'm not. I'm like I. I wouldn't go out of my way because it's. Like, it, we usually do that at the end. But I feel like it's a hard movie to recommend to someone. Um, like even if they've liked what Giselle has done before, uh, uh, uh because it, it is such a 
really i mean whiplash is similar in that way where like the experience of what what our characters are going through is is really intense you know like actually getting really involved in it um as well which okay let's give a spoiler warning here i did did not feel really attached to any of these characters and they're, they're not really on like a hero's journey or whatever uh where they're like good people in in any sort of way and i felt like manny was an attempt to have a character at the center that we root for a bit yeah but and also show the shortcomings of Hollywood through his lens as well. Uh, I didn't like the love story aspect of it at all, though. I thought that was like really not necessary. Uh, that whole bit. But um, but yeah, what did you what did you make of of like the the characters? So these characters are some of the weakest Damien Chazelle's had on his screen, and yeah, I think that overall this story is quite weak compared to the previous stories Damien Chazelle has had on screen mm -hmm. this is right. not my favorite Damien Chazelle film and I'm definitely not going to pretend that like it is even though I am going to praise the film for a lot of re a lot of reasons it's just that his previous films mm. are more contained and they're more focused right. and that will give you a better connection to uh those characters and that and that's a fact yeah. you know the the, the story of Whiplash, you know, a student and a teacher, you know, you never think that story's going to stick with you, but that's iconic. And then you've obviously got Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling in La La Land. And you're like, God, that's incredible. Like you just like, this is a cute love story. But then, then you get Babylon where you have, you know, an ensemble of characters, which there are definitely ensemble projects uh, done by other filmmakers in the past that still have a, a, a more more, you still have more of a connection with those characters, but Babylon mm -hmm. just seems to be more concerned with the you know, the setting. Is yeah. it like similar to? Do you think it's similar to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where it is more about the setting? Because, like, I feel like that is maybe a comparison, the obvious comparison that that you can make here, because they're, they're similar, like, on a surface level in a lot of ways, but. Once Upon a Time doesn't really have that critique of Hollywood that much at, at the center of it all. Yeah. And I feel like this movie is, to me, not really balancing the act of really praising film and in, in a sort of way also critiquing it. Uh, although it does try to make that connection by the end of like uh, how it can connect or emotionally involve you. Uh, but I just thought it was a bit cheesy. Uh, but but yeah, and, and I, I agree. The, the the character work here is probably like the weakest. I I didn't really like that like that that we got these. Um, I, I like the longer sequences, like the party thing was was crazy to follow. But then we basically get like in between areas where Nelly just comes back with a problem problem, and that happens like four times in the movie, and we never get to see why she does things. We never get to like explore that side of her. It, it is like implied. And I kind of wanted more of her because she's basically, I feel like even more than Manny, the center point of, of the story. Because he just essentially becomes a, a screw in the machine um, and is then kind of pulled out again from Nelly. But she is at the center of it all. She gets like actually mm. like chewed up and spit out again, again and again. Um, and I felt like that story was really interesting. And then I also uh, quite enjoyed like Jack Conrad. And I also wanted more from him. 
I feel like there's not, even though this is a three hour plus movie, I thought for the characters, there's not in, enough space that is given to them for it to feel earned that like by the end of his career, he's so frustrated that like he ends up offing himself because he can't deal with not having the success anymore. Or like, he, he yeah, he, I don't know. It didn't get enough from him. Um, so that was a, dis a bit disappointing to me. Completely agree about Jack because it was, it's, I mean, it's fucking Brad Pitt. Come on, you want to you wanna have his, if you, if you got Brad Pitt in your movie, you want Brad Pitt in your movie. And every scene that he's yeah. in, he's absolutely spectacular in. I'm, I'm loving this post- uh, I, I literally post Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Brad Pitt. Like, it seems that he's just had this massive, crazy comeback with, like, some wicked performances and, like, Ad Astra. Even Bullet Train was just some yeah. really classic, fun action Brad Pitt. Like, you know, the old, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, he's charismatic, he's fun. Yeah. And Brad Pitt is really good in this film. I'm really enjoying mm -hmm. his character. And yeah. even when you get him to do some performance acting when he finally has this moment where his best mate has killed himself you can kind of feel that because it's not he doesn't yeah. he doesn't show emotion like some other actors do he does it in a very i guess masculine way is the easiest way to describe brad pitt's range of emotion it's masculine right. like sad and then masculine masculine that's the easiest way to explain it is that he's always the tough guy he's never shows emotion and then you can go to, like, yeah. down to the tough guy who isn't showing emotion but is quite upset. But, like, yeah. Brad Pitt's character, just all of a sudden you cut back to him a couple years later with a new film and it flops and he kills himself. And it's like there's nothing in between that since his failure of a film, his, I guess, essentially his resurgence in popularity, and then he kills himself. And it's like, where is this in between? Like, cool. I just ran around with Manny and the magician dude for the last 30 minutes with Tobey fucking yeah. Maguire with an alligator. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a whole bunch of like elephant man. There was a guy getting fucked and pet. Like there was just so much going on. Right. And, and to be fair, yeah. right. I, I watched so I watched a lot of movies last year. I watched blue people movies. I watched bat people movies. I watched movies where almost everything anywhere could ever happen all at once. Yeah. But I have not seen as much shit on this screen as I ever seen in this film before. This film was insane with what I, like, I was like, how have I not yeah. seen any, like, it was ridiculous. Um, yeah. Sorry, I just Agreed. went on a tangent about me just losing my mind with this film, right? Um, I, I didn't yeah, think I was going to watch someone yeah. get shat on by an elephant and then two hours later <laughs> yeah. go into a gimp dungeon. I just didn't see that one coming along. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's a silent era, man. Of course, there's a bunch of gibbs. It was ridiculous. No, I, it was I don't crazy. know. It, it it was a bit uh, crazy there, and uh, like, I, then I didn't felt like I didn't feel any sort of focus for it, and I think, like, ultimately that that's what he was trying to do to like throw as much shit at you as as you can. Like, it's that type of, like, almost literally in like the opening as well. But um, just showcase a whole bunch of sides. But it still had like the groundwork of this epic story of someone um, making it in Hollywood, coming up and then going down. Like it's almost like a gangster story where he makes his way up to to production shift, sound stage, whatever manager that Manny ends up being, and then he has to flee the country and he comes back. Like 
he has that moment that's like typical for crime movies and it, it is is an odd framing for this film overall you know to have that like somewhat uh <laughs> in there as well Lachlan do you think Babylon is more of like an homage or a parody of Hollywood or maybe a bit of both as well it's a bit of both you categorize it it's yeah. like uh it's it's a perfect mixture of I guess it's a good mixture I mean it's taken yeah. to the extremities and that's the fun part of it it's that he probably heard of this little rumor of this wild party that happened in the 1920s and he was like Let's turn that dial all the way up to 11 and let's just make everything that could possibly go wrong go yeah. wrong. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, if you, I guess, pick a scene, you know, because we said there's like a bunch of like longer moments that ultimately like make up the film. It's not like shifting every couple like scenes and then time passes. It's really just you get a longer one and then uh, an extended uh, like period of time actually passes. Uh, did you have like a, a favorite of, of these these moments? I would say the moment where Manny goes and meets Toby Maguire's character is probably one of the wildest scenes yeah. in the entire film because it's that okay. perfect Hitchcockian there's a bomb under the table scenario with the, with the fake <laughs> yeah, money. Exactly. And I really mm -hmm. enjoyed that when it was like I I, I have to admit, the humor in this in this film slaps. Uh there's the scene prior where Margot Robbie's character uh, Nelly is doing her first sound scene, and yeah, it fucking it just every every it just piles on top. It's this intense, intense, intense thing, and then there's massive release with I guess the first AD losing his fucking marbles, um, telling everyone that he's going to shit on them if the next person who like breaks the cut, and that was really funny because it was like this. <laughs> Yeah, building of tension, and then it's just this massive release. But for me, there was this obviously the scene prior. Uh, the scene I'm talking about beforehand with um, uh, Manny and Toby Maguire's character, who I I don't know Toby Maguire's character's name. Uh, James James McKay, uh, yeah. where Manny goes to meet James alongside his wizard friend who gives drugs to people on set. Yeah. And obviously it starts off with them going to meet him and he's nervous because it's like this, you know, this kingpin drug lord, I think, as I pitched it to him. And they are discussing and he kind of wants to go in and kind of go out, but, you know, they stick around for a drink. Anyway, uh, Toby Maguire's character wants to, you know, pitch film ideas. And of course, why would you not? You've got a famous film director in front of you. It doesn't matter who you are, if you're a drug lord, if you, you know, just a nobody, you're going to pitch your ideas to a movie producer that's yeah. your only chance you've got right and mm -hmm. while he's pitching he goes to double check while the drinks have taken so long and in that scenario you learn that the money he's handed over to kind of pay off nelly's debts is prop money fake money oh shit he's going to die <laughs> yeah. and then it goes on to a wild ride of hey you should make a movie based on this person that i know follow me take them across la to this I guess, abandoned tunnel. And yeah. it's like, oh, it's just two layers down. First layer, two chicks fighting in a cage with a drum. Okay, no worries. That's pretty cool. Next layer, <laughs> it's a sex dungeon. Okay, pretty normal. Oh, okay. You've got conjoined twins. You've got everything from American Horror Story. You've got 
everything from the like uh nightmare alley uh Guillermo del toro movies you've got all of these crazy creatures you've got the elephant man in a shot and everyone's fucking these people okay yeah. interesting next layer down even worse it's just getting darker and darker and then there's an alligator just thrown in there why not and then there's a guy who's mm. just so big and muscular and you think what's he going to do he eats a live rat is he ozzy osbourne eating a bat like what what crazy shit is going on here and then he yeah. like learns the money's fake and it's a run out with all the, like it was just like getting darker and darker and i was like where is this going to go it is just yeah. getting into some hardcore shit man it is getting pretty crazy. I, I think for me, uh, I do like that like first sound moment with Nelly quite a bit. Like you said, like the building tension and and that. What I didn't really like is that a lot of these like scenes had to end or at least include someone dying. Um, and I, I feel like that's an easy way to end an intense scene, other than just maybe leaving it off at a not so interesting point. So it feels like a lot of the stuff that Damien Giselle still does is like these things that self-contained would even work quite well, um, mm. you know, and not just overall in the flow of the story. You know, someone going there and you basically learn everything that is about it. And what I found a bit frustrating with the film is that all of these individual longer scenes didn't really add up to something that... I thought was worth staying in the theaters for three hours for. So mm. I, like, I really felt the time. Um, and maybe I was also going in with the wrong set, set of um, expectations from the trailer, which was so incredibly crazy. And then we get that craziness, but I feel like we get it in, in, in doses. And obviously you can't keep it up for the whole time. But then I felt at times it was going into like a slower story but then whenever like Nelly was back in there, they just try to, um, I guess, bring that back up. Like for me, one of those moments where they try to make a proper um, leading lady woman at that like dinner thing um, was just a bit too much. Like where you can't hold back the crassness and obviously you're going for the dichotomy of these two different things of what Hollywood is becoming and the legacy of the people who can't fit into like the mold that they they were previously in in the silent era um and i, I think it, it obviously it's purposefully over the top it just didn't always land for me and i don't know something about the toby Maguire stuff was really just i, I like the scene the concept of the scene i didn't like it as much in this movie that makes sense yeah uh i totally get that yeah. i feel i feel like that scene like each one of these scenes has to eventually outdo itself and that seems to be the yeah. common theme with this it's like you can't just have a you know a normal scene that goes from point a to point b with basic plot points it kind of has to go from plot a to point uh, plot a to plot b and then immediately has to spike into some sort of twisty turny thing and something crazy wacky has to happen right yeah that seems to be every scene besides two or three kind of small spin-off scenes and just before you think the scene's going to end, something happens and you're like, oh, okay. So there's, this, there's never this just resting tension. Uh, it's not tension, I should say. There's just this rest. There's no rest point with this film. It's just consistently yeah. stressful. 
it's consistently uh, you're questioning whether what you're watching is legitimately what happened, which is sometimes drawn to the point where I don't kind of believe this, but I kind of can believe this to the point where you kind of yeah. go, okay, I feel like this is not so much set in reality. However, it's set in the reality that these people were retelling these stories to like their kids or to like their friends. Right. Cause like there's exactly, no one who's yeah. going to run around with a snake bite on their neck for a good five minutes and no one does anything. Uh, someone's going to definitely step in straight away and try to help out. But there's definitely yeah. a story where someone goes and she was running around with a snake on her. And then this leading lady from another movie comes up, slices the snake off of her neck she falls down, collapses, she sucks the venom out, and then they make out. And it's like, okay, did anyone tell Damien Chazelle no? Or do they all just keep saying yes, 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 yes? <laughs> uh, I mean, I think for this movie, there was certainly like a, not a lot of pushback of what he actually gets to do. That's, that's just what I expect. Um, but, but yeah, uh, I, th I think overall, I was just not a fan of, of Nelly like at all um like her her backstory of i guess being pretty good at just crying and of course it's because she has a shitty upbringing that's like oh i think of that and then i can cry on command uh like it, it is very surface level and um a lot of it can be that if it's all about the spectacle but then i think Giselle just tries a, a bit too much with it. Like he, he wants this and this and this and this and all of it needs to be in this. But then also you need to be constantly entertained and it's just um, just like, I don't know, an auditory visual just overload of, Orgasm. of, of, of stuff. Yes, certainly. I mean, I'm, I'm really glad that we didn't get like in Blonde the perspective of, I think that was someone coming, right, as well. I, I, I don't know if that was... But that was really disgusting in that movie. I, I, like, there was some restraint in some parts of the film. Uh, but, yeah, I like the simpler stuff. I like Manny having to go on, on a run to, to get the camera and them getting the shot at the end of it. But maybe I just want wholesome stories. That, like, there's this toxic, I guess, director, and then they just, they just get the final shot and, like, them all fighting in the background uh as like that that as like the kiss it's it's like an epic moment that they get to capture for real it's like okay that's pretty sweet um but i guess then there needs to be some sort of alligator uh chasing people and chopping them up as well for some reason considering its reception lachlan do you think this is like a movie that will uh go down as like one of the better films it's, it's difficult to compare it to the rest of giselle's discography uh filmography because it's been so great up so far do you think this will be remembered as like a, a good or a bad point of his career later on it's going to be considered very similar to tarantino's once upon a time in hollywood yeah. in the sense that at first i think a lot of people are going to dislike it but they're going to come around mm -hmm. to really enjoy it in a couple of years time and they're going to see that he didn't make this movie for anyone but himself and that's yeah. what I can kind of see in this movie exactly, being. Yeah. I think that mm. if you look at his main, you know, three big films, Whiplash, La La Land and First Man, you can definitely see, I guess, a, a slight decline in focus and a bit more of a focus on spectacle. 
and what's yeah. on the screen, but not what's actually happening in the story. Um, mm-hmm. I will, I like Whiplash as much as I love it. We actually did a short on this fairly recently. La La Land is my favorite Damien Chazelle film. I just think it's like that perfect, uh, you know, story and spectacle uh, compared to Whiplash, which is pretty much all the relationship uh, in that film between teacher and, and student. And, and that's the, the core foundation. There's nothing really fancy. There's some good, cool camera work in there, but it's not mm-hmm. as cool as La La Land. And it's definitely not visually stunning as First Man. I think First Man is, is gorgeous when it comes to its cinematography. But Babylon kind of forgets its story and just goes entirely for the insanity, crazy, let's go wild film, pretty much. So... Yeah, I think that it's going to sit there as a, it's not a terrible film. It's not his like worst film ever, but it's definitely not his most focused. But again, who needs to have yeah. a focused filmography? I think it's good to have a bit of everything. I mean, right now he's done a a drama, a musical, you know, I sci-fi guess a, drama. A, I mean, like it's not really even sci-fi because it's still set in reality, but like a, I guess a you know, a, an adaptation of, you know, a, 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 an yeah, event that actually science happened. Fiction. Um, and then you've got whatever the fuck Babylon is. Yeah. It's a pretty diverse it's, it's range the, of films. I'll give them that. You get, you get a new genre, which is the, the artist's re-reigning vision, where they just get to do whatever the fuck they really want. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it, it can be messy, like with Inaritu and Bardo. Uh, we've gotten like heaps of films in 2022 that were like, like that. And I hope we still get them, although some of them I, I really didn't like. Some of them I thought were really entertaining, uh, like this film. But ultimately, I think there's, there's some aspects that I really appreciate for it. If I had to break it down for... Uh, like in Oscar terms, maybe I'd say that like it, it's not a best picture contender for me, but certainly for editing, uh, for cinematography, for production design, for the costumes, all of that stuff is really outstanding. And uh, just goes to show if you got talent and you got the money, you really can make a amazing spectacle. And I guess the story and the like, the film aspect, the narrative overall. I guess just connects with certain people with others don't, mm. but at least, um, you know, that we still get these like really big films, even, even like something like the Northman, you know, that had a, a similar range budget that also didn't do well. Uh, I, I really don't want to see like less of these films. And um, again, I don't want to talk about numbers. I feel like that's really boring, but um, I, I just hope that regardless of this studios don't stop uh, letting um, creative people do this unique, unique work, you know, that, that we need to fuel kind of the industry, um, apart from just the money-making aspect of it. And uh, Paramount mm. ha- has a, like a heaps of money with Top Gun. That was such a success. They, they can, they can, they can make a hundred, a couple like 150 million, like in, in like the red. Oh, with for the sure. That's totally I'm fine. Sure. Totally fine. <laughs> Uh, but but where would you think like this movie would shine um, in like like the Oscar Oscar uh, race? Um, tough. 
possibly best original screenplay, maybe. I right. I feel like the screenplay could be quite good. Um, I forgot about the score. How did I forget about the score? Yeah, this, this is how have we fucking, not talked about the score so far? Yeah, have we not? Talked it's about the it most so far? score to ever score. Uh, it is so <laughs> like, scory. It gets ten scores out of scores. Yeah, it it's scoring. It's so hot. Yes, <laughs> it's so scory that Scorsese. How? What else can we do with this? Um, it's so. Ah, I have nothing. I'm... It's Taika Waititi's new film. The next score wins. It fucking scores. Scores. Ayo. Um, oh, no, that's a bad one. It is definitely a fun, fun score. It, I mean, I, I guess yeah. Damien Chazelle has always had this really exciting relationship with music in his film. Uh, it's always on point. I don't think there's a single film that I can say that there's no, like, I, I guess both the, 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 the musical score of the film and the soundtrack at the same time plays a massive part in these films. And in this one, music just goes hand in hand with whatever's happening. And I, I would probably even say like that, that, that last moment in that, in this film, oh God, it's spectacular. It, it's wicked. It's just so gorgeous with what it presents to you. Uh, mm -hmm. Both yeah, what did you think about visually. of the ending? Because it's, it's oh, like, yeah, I loved it. <laughs> got Avatar in there as well. Oh and, my god, uh, I absolutely got... loved it. I didn't have to pay to go watch Avatar again in cinemas. I finally seen Avatar yeah. in cinemas, by the way, because uh, I didn't get to see it when it first came out. So I finally saw <laughs> yeah, Avatar you get in them cinemas. flying. I um, mean, it is like a trailer moment. Look, that they I'll tell you them. what. There's so you know how we're talking about like they we he made it for himself and. Obviously, yeah. I like it when a film has a cool message, and I guess that this is his kind of like love letter to Hollywood. Again, very similar thing that Tarantino did, but at the end of the film, it very much turns onto you as the viewer to kind of consider this yeah. yourself because it's immediately just shown these clips of some of the greatest, most impactful films to ever exist on screen. You know, I, I can't name them all that came on there, but, you know, Obviously, Avatar came up there as a massive blockbuster. You know, I have seen uh, a number of the films that I've also shown there. I even saw a shot from Unshun Andalou, which is a very, very niche reference uh, for a film, right? With the slit of the eye. Yep. Like, there was just these really, like, it was really awesome. This is montage of just big blockbuster films that have come out and even very impactful films from the past come out. And these are all played a massive part in what we call cinema. And mm. at the end of the day, you go ahead and watch these films and they impact you in a way that, you know, you go there to escape. And that's what they say in the start of the film. And to have it all kind of wrap up and then look outwards to other films that have existed, I went, oh, fuck. And that's when I decided to give this thing four stars because I was like, damn, damn. that's hardcore. Maybe okay. think about that. To be fair, the ending for me took half a star, took it half a star down. For sure. Uh, I... But it was like pandering. It's like you, uh, someone who was actually in the same theater when I, I was watching it, um, put like a review up on Letterboxd that said, imagine spending over three hours uh, like doing a huge homage to Hollywood or to just uh, explain it again in the last bit or something like that. I'm paraphrasing. And, and I did feel that. It's like, why do we need to be handheld through the experiencing yeah. experience of 
of filmmaking because we essentially got like the origin stories uh, in parts of uh singing in the rain right that like transition to sound era it's just like you know the dramatic retelling and there you got more of the I, I mean, it's it was in the 50s. I think 57 is when mm. uh, Singing in the Rain, I think, comes out. And this was like the 30s era, right? So there's a bit of time in between. But it, it builds to that moment that there's like some time between and Manny can, I guess, I guess reflect on what has happened and like remember the the people that he, yeah, that, that kind of depicted in that film as well. Um, but then going through like, well, here's all the reasons why cinema is great. I feel like it, it, it works better in my head than it does on screen for me. That's like, oh yeah, this is a huge homage scene to kind of leave us in a good place regarding film at the end and not just think, what the fuck were they doing in the late 20s? Um, yeah. And how, mess, how messy was Hollywood? Uh, so I, I, I don't know. It, it, it just didn't really work for me, um, but I did like the montage. I just, again, like the Tobey Maguire stuff, but didn't really like it that much in this film. And, uh -huh. like, we haven't talked about Sidney Palmer at all, the um, trumpet player. He, I, I would have loved to have seen a whole story just, like, on him. Because uh, mm. I felt like he, he's, a, he's a fascinating side character that uh, has a really strong scene as well with, like, the, the essentially darker-faced um, blackface that he has to do even, even though he is black. Uh, like, that little side bit of uh, reducing your, or, or, or like robbing you of your personality, really literally on screen, mm -hmm. um, I found like really powerful. And I would have loved to have gotten like more of these moments. And uh, like, I don't know, maybe I'm being a bit harsh. I feel like on a rewatch, I'll definitely end up higher, but I, I ended up at a three out of five, um, mm -hmm. which is a bit harsh for this film, I think. Uh, cool. Because I was really close to the three and a half. Um, I might change it on a whim. But uh, it's definitely closer to a three and a half than than a two and a half for me. Um, overall, I'd still recommend the film. And we can, um, we can pull this film yeah. apart because if we're pulling this film apart thematically, there is just nothing here really. But at a surface yeah. level, this film does present a lot of ideas. And, and again, it's because he he's too focused on this visual spectacle that there's not a lot of substance in this film that I think you yeah. and I both attach to when we watch films. We, you know, we, very similar to what they say, we go to watch movies for particular reasons. They present some wicked messages sometimes, but there's just nothing of substance here. It's all surface level. But the thing is, yeah. when you're watching a film for three hours, you don't want to be thinking too deeply, especially when there's a lot of shots yeah. of exactly naked people, elephant shitting, <laughs> gimps, you know, alligators, and Tobey Maguire, who looks like he's been you know, emo, emo Spider-Man for the past 20 years, right? Who's been yeah. doing shit tons of cocaine. <laughs> this is not a film where I want to go in and just be thinking about, you know, how racist Hollywood used to be because we know mm -hmm. that for a fact Hollywood used to be very, very bad and in a lot of places still sometimes is. And yeah. this is not the film that Damien Chazelle was trying to make. He's trying to make a point that, yes, no. we, it used to be like that, but he's more yeah. focused on showing you the crazy shit that happened because yeah. he like Sidney Palmer just walks out. He just leaves. He's the only person yeah. to come out of this film unscathed because he left yeah. this toxic workplace and said, I'm not coming back. And look at him now. He's the only one. He's not dead. 
He's loving his life. He's still playing music. It was just that the film industry made him popular and he was able to get to an audience. But now he's the only one who's come out unscathed. That's why, like, I think he, he's my MVP of the whole story. Like, whenever he popped up, I was the most invested. By default, I though, right? forward in my seat. By default, he's, what do you mean? He's MVP because he's the only one who's not dead. <laughs> well, I mean, man, he's Well, yeah, dead, he's but... the only one who's not really a dick. Even he, like, it, at the start of it, is, like, this ambitious guy who, like, keeps, like, down talk or, like, shit talk the other people in his band or, like, specifically yeah. one other guy because he does have a bit more ambition. But ultimately, I feel like he's the only person who I kind of w was bearable on screen as well. Uh, I mean, th there were some fun cameos in it as well. I, I liked Samara we uh, Weaving just popping up there for a bit yeah. as like this established, more established like uh, actress that gets replaced by uh, Nelly. Um, and Olivia Wilde randomly uh, with like one of the wives of Jack Conrad, where he just, I think the opening to Jack Conrad is is hilarious, where he just pretends to be Italian, uh, which doesn't really reflect his character, like, at all. I feel like a lot of it is just for the humor and uh, at the expense of character stuff. But and, you see, the thing is, yeah. the funny thing about this is that I thought this was Damien Chazelle making fun of the actors that he's got in these characters, because in a previous film, Inglorious Bastards, he, you know, he pretends he's Italian. And I was like, okay, he's doing that. Yeah. And then in another previous Margot Robbie film, he she goes to a cinema and tries to get in for free because she's the star. And there's another scene just yeah. like that. And I was like, is I, he making yeah, fun know. of it's... the Bongiorno scene I think he and is. the scene in Once Upon a Time he in Hollywood? definitely is. That's what I yeah. thought was going on with some of these actors. And I just, maybe I didn't put them all together for the pre other actors that are in this film. But like, that's yeah. what I thought was going on. He was, you know, it's the balancing of, this has happened in another film before that you've probably recently seen because they're both very popular films in those two actors' uh, filmography. But at the same time, I was like, mm -hmm. is it just, it was coincidence that it was written in this film? Like, Yeah, I don't not. know. I mean, originally, bon I think Giorno. Emma Stone was supposed to be in the role of Margot Robbie and Leonardo DiCaprio was also going up against Brad Pitt for the Jack Conrad role. Uh, but I, uh, they also rewrote it because I think at parts, this was actually more of like a historical biopic with a mm. bunch of real people and it became more and more fictional. And I assumed then also got like, they, they were able to ramp up the intensity and elephant shit, yeah. you know, but yeah, that's that. I think that's been more than enough. If uh, you've been intrigued by the trailer of Babylon, then I feel like the movie overall, at least in some parts is like not at all. Uh, a letdown, um, in my opinion. And I think Lachlan will second that. So go give it a try if you want to. Now, Lachlan, if you had to select a double feature alongside the very long Babylon, what's the movie that you would pick? Well, I mean, I spoke about it earlier. It's a movie about making a movie about serious actors who also blackface, I guess, in this film as well. So yeah. it's yeah, Tropic do, yeah. Thunder. Tropic Thunder, right? Mm -hmm. That's like the only Tropic suggestion Thunder, baby. I can think would be, you know, great actors in it, great yeah. humor. It has a, has a meaty message. Well, Lachlan, I got a meaty message for you, and that's uh, Mark Wahlberg's long schlong in Booking Nights. Jesus Christ. <laughs> that's my, that's my <sighs> double feature Jeez. pick. All right. I like that one. That was a good one. That's like, a, that's like something I uh, would say. 
Yes, exactly. I was I was channeling my inner Lachlan for a second, and I was like, "Get out of me, Lachlan!" Anyways, uh, go watch uh, Boogie Nights by Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, it's a great film, really enjoyable. Uh, also, I think like over like two and a half hours long, something like that. So it's very similar to Babylon in a, in a lot of ways, and then also not because it's more about the porn industry. But also in the valley, uh, so you got the similarities there. But uh, heaps of movies about movies or the movies uh, that you don't really show on on the big screen, but on uh, the small screen at home with Boogie Nights. Uh, those are my picks. But up on the big screen, on your infinity pool that we all got at home, is uh, the new Cronenberg film, Cronenberg uh, Jr., uh, Infinity Pool of the same name. Uh, coming out in the States on Jan, uh, January 27th. Um, no release date for me yet, so we don't know if we'll get to cover this on the show anytime soon, uh, but be on the lookout for that. Had a really intriguing uh, trailer, and if you are in the States, go check it out. Then again, the Sundance Film Festival is currently happening. You can even uh, do some of the films online, so um, check out the Sundance Film website if you do want to catch some of the films uh, playing there. And uh, yeah, Lachlan, I think that brings us to the, to the end of the show. Again, uh, another reminder linked below is the participation forum for the Oscars prediction that you can go fill out right now. We'll, I think, do it next week uh, because I do want to get the nominations out of the way. I kind of want to do them as soon as possible as they come out so we don't have like, you know, because leading up to the ceremony, there might be some other, fest, uh, might be some other award shows. And then you kind of have a clearer picture of what might win. I don't want that. <laughs> I just want it like now. I want to try now and be as wrong as I possibly can, as early as I can. So uh, that's what we'll probably end up doing um, in parts next week's show. And uh, you can follow us in the meantime on YouTube, on Spotify. Leave a rating over there. Appreciate the five stars. And uh, leave a like and subscribe to the YouTube channel here. Uh, you can go check out our review of uh, The Last of Us episode one. Uh, really keen to see more of that show. We'll also do a series review once it comes out. But uh, yeah, Lachlan, in the meantime, I don't have anything else to say. Stay safe. Stay clear of the bottoms of any elephants that might cross your path. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>